Well, my dad used to tell a pretty pathetic stories, which proves that it's genetic. <laughs> and he used to tell of a family that had two identical twins, and they, they were so different. One was an optimist. Everything was great and wonderful, and the other one was depressed and discouraging, and everything was terrible. And so they, when they were a little older, they took them to a psychiatrist to see how they could be so different, brought up in the same environment. So the psychiatrist took the kid that's a pessimist, put him in a room with beautiful toys to observe him for an hour, and they took the kid that was an optimist and put him in a room that had nothing but a big pile of horse manure. And they observed him for an hour. They came back an hour later, and the little pessimist was sitting in the corner with his arms folded. They said, did you play with the toys? He said, nope. This is a trap. They're going to break. I'm not going to touch them. <laughs> they go to the kid that's the optimist, and the little kid is digging in the horse manure. Everywhere, horse manure. They say, what are you doing? He says, with all this here, there's got to be a horse here somewhere. And the truth is that we should be, above all else, we should be people of hope. We should be the optimists. And we are people of the resurrection. We are people who believe that in God there is hope for absolutely everybody. There is no such thing as a hopeless situation when it comes to the things of God. So, hope lives here. Hope lives here. Jesus is approached by the Pharisees, the religious people of his day. And they want to know if he really is the Messiah, if he's the, the solution that God has sent for the pain in the world and the sin in the world. Is, is he the promised one? Is he the Savior that can change people's lives? Is this God's person? And so they ask him this question, what are your credentials? Prove that you're the Messiah. But Jesus, instead of proving it, he says this, in Matthew 12, 39, he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. You're not going to get a sign except Jonah. Now, stop a minute and think, why would he say Jonah? There are a lot of great prophets in the Old Testament, like Elijah, throwing fire down from heaven. Wouldn't we like to do that? Okay. Okay. It's cheaper than therapy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Bring fire down from heaven. Instead, it's Jonah. Jonah was the reluctant prophet, the, the coward, the, the snivelly complainer. Jonah. Huh. Well, maybe, obviously, one of the reasons why Jesus said Jonah is because he was three days, three nights in the belly of the whale, just as Christ, who the Messiah, died on the cross and then was in the grave three days, three nights, and then rose again. So that could be the reason. Or maybe the reason is that just like it was like a warning that came to Nineveh to repent, and the same warning was coming to them by somebody greater than, jo than Jonah, the Son of Man. Or maybe it wasn't just about the crucifixion and the resurrection, but it was about about hearing and heeding. And that's why Jonah. I don't like Jonah. I don't like his sniveling, complaining, guy, self-centered, you know, cowardly sort of individual. I don't like him because he's too familiar. He's too much like me and like you. But Jesus said Jonah. I'd like to talk about the fact that we're people of hope. And how do we, as people of hope, who have a God who gives hope to all of us, to the broken, to the lost, to the hurting, to the lepers, to the outcasts, Jesus stopped, reached out, and touched lives. 
God still does the same today. God is a God of hope. Hope. But how do we open the door of hope for people around us? How do we spread this hope? How do we help people find the same hope in Jesus Christ that you have found? And maybe you're here this morning and and you know about Christ, but you've never prayed to commit your life to Christ. We had a lady in the first service who did right here at the front, had the privilege of leading her as she committed her life to Christ for the first time. And, And her life will never be the same again. Not, a, not good enough to know about God. You know, to need to know him for yourself, to know for sure that you have hope in your heart. So how do we do it? I'd like to use the word gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L, as six things that each and every one of us can learn to do from the story of Jonah. There was a little boy who went to Sunday school and went home, and he, his uncle was there, and his uncle was not a believer and always made fun of Christianity, as so many people do today. And so the little boy had been to Sunday school. The, the uncle said, well, what did you learn? And the little boy said, I learned about Jonah being eaten by the whale. And the uncle said, you don't believe that Jonah actually was eaten by a whale, do you? And the little boy said, yes, it's in the Bible, and I believe the Bible. Yes, Jonah was eaten by a whale. Now, what if he, that didn't happen? Well, the little boy said, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah myself. And the uncle said, and what if Jonah's not in heaven? To which the little frustrated kid said, in that case, you ask him. (laughs) So we learn from the story of Jonah six practical things. And we use this acrostic to help us remember them. The first letter in gospel is G for go. You know, we're going to have hope. We've got to take the hope to others. We can't stay where we are. We've got to go. Go, Jesus went. And so the same calling came to Jonah. And it says in verse 1, chapter 1 of Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now you'd imagine that Jonah would be pretty happy about that. Whoa, God has a plan for me. He has a mission impossible for me. I'm it. I can take this message of hope to a broken people, a hurting people. They can find healing. They can find hope. Wow, what a privilege I've got. Yay, God's going to use me. Yeah, it was the same with Jonah. Yeah, yeah. Excitement, you know, this, this is what God's going to do. I have a friend called Luis Palau, who's a great evangelist in South America. That's where I'm from. I was born in Uruguay, grew up in Argentina. And... Luis Palau was in Cordoba, city of Cordoba, big city, industrial city, and uh, he worked at a bank. And he was in his bedroom, on his knees, praying. And he was praying, and he was praying all day, God, should I take the gospel of hope to others or, or not? Should I go and tell others about Jesus? Should I tell the hope? Should I? And he was all day, should I? And finally, the door of his room busts open. His mother comes in and says, Luis, I'm sick and tired of hearing you pray that. The call went out 2,000 years ago. Get up and go do it. (laughs) And that's what God was telling Jonah. I've got a message for you. Same as Jesus said to us, that we're to take this gospel of hope to a broken and a hurting world. What a privilege we have. God has called you to do the same and me to do the same. But that takes us to the next point. O is for overcome. There are things that want to stop us from doing it. Things outside and things within us that want to stop us from obeying God. Well, you see, the devil doesn't care what we do inside the church as long as we don't take it outside. 
So what are the obstacles that, that, that would happen come? And so we see what happens to Jonah. Jonah immediately has obstacle number one, terrified. He's petrified. He's scared stiff. That's what he was. I don't know about you, but I don't like dentists, for example. They scare me. I went into the dentist, and the lady said to me, as I was checking in, what's your name? And I said, coward. <laughs> she thought I was really cute. So later, when it was my turn, she went into the room where all the other patients were waiting and said to the dentist will now see the coward. <laughs> and three people got up with me. <laughs> but the truth is, the truth is that we're scared. The city of Nineveh was a big city. Uh, it was an evil city, the capital of Assyria, 175,000 people. It was the most important city in the world at that time, and, and it was known for wickedness and all sorts of issues out there and, and violence and such. And, and, you know, this is a comfortable guy. But God is nudging him out of his comfort zone. And I, sadly, and I don't want to tell you this, but he's trying to do that with me too. In fact, he's actually trying to do it with you too. Not just out of a comfort zone. And that's where the resistance comes in and where the obstacles come in with, whoa, whoa, crazy. Let me show you that a lot of people are like Jonah in Canada today. We're Christians. We know God. We've been called. But, but we, we have trouble taking this gospel of hope to others. In fact, this is a world map, obviously. And from 2010, and it shows in blue the countries where the gospel, the amount of Christians is growing faster than the population. Huh? Look at it. Most of the map is blue. More people are coming to Christ in the world than ever in the history of the church. Wow. Okay. I'm having a revival here all by myself. But the yellow country, the yellow countries, are ones where the population is growing faster than the Christian population. And Canada is one of them. A lot of us keep it to ourselves. And we need to change that. And God wants to, to do that same thing with Jonah. This shows church attendance, how it's been on decline since back in the 1940s in Canada. Um, this one shows the country. This is from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. I was, used to be their director, National Initiatives. And it shows the country of Canada back in 1996, which to me is not that long ago, before many of you were born, but still not that long ago. I'm getting older. Nowadays, when I tie up my shoelaces, I ask, what else can I do while I'm down here? <laughs> okay. so, so here it shows the percentage of people that are evangelically aligned, that means that they're, they're born again, they understand the basics of the Christian faith, they're born again believers, some of them be Roman Catholics, some of them be United Church, but they all have the basic Christian beliefs that you and I hold dear. Notice I've circled Saskatchewan and Manitoba. In 96, 23% were born again believers there. Look at the eastern seaboard, 27% were believers. Now look now, the updated numbers from 2013, it's gone down from 27% to 14% in the Maritimes, and the same in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. We're seeing a shift away from the gospel 
an alarming rate. And the reason is because, like Jonah, we're scared of sharing our faith for, for reasons that are kind of crazy. If you look at young people, young people are dropping off. This is from Reg Bibby from the University of Lethbridge. And the red line shows young believers. It tells you there where they are and how only now 13% consider themselves born-again believers. We're, seeing, we're in a time of huge shifts in our country. And the need has never been greater. This was a more recent study done uh, by the EFC. And it says only one in three Canadian young people who attends church weekly as a child, will do so today. We're even losing our own. So this issue of helping spread the hope of Jesus Christ is more important for us today in the church and for our good and for our family and for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren's sake than at any other time in the history of our nation. Now, at this moment, God has a choice to make. God can either... As he sees Jonah running away from him, God can say, it's okay, Jonah. Don't worry, it's okay. I'll give the job to somebody else. You just go and relax. Or he could say, Jonah, I think I'll change you. Which do you think God does? Yeah, God always wants to change me. And this morning... And so this is how God does it. It's really cool. Chapter 1, verse 17, But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. <laughs> I'd love to reenact that right here, but we couldn't find a fish that big. Can you imagine? God looks, sees Jonah thrown into the water, and uh, so he goes, Shh. I think he did. And the whale does a U-turn in the Mediterranean and says, supper time, <laughs> and swallows Jonah. Now we see the conversation that Jonah had in the belly of the fish. It's really amusing. And so we see then surrender. So first, God says to him, go. Number two, there are obstacles, but they're not obstacles to God. And then number three is surrender, surrender. In the belly of the fish, this is a conversation that Jonah has with God. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. No kidding. <laughs> Help! God, if you get me out of here, I will go and do anything you say. How many of you prayed something like that? <laughs> I have. I have. And then he says, verse 7, really eloquent. When you consider the smell of fish, he's in the belly of a fish. Okay? My life was ebbing away. I remembered you, as if he wouldn't. <laughs> and my prayer rose to you in the holy temple. Okay. Okay. Wow. There was a lady in the United States, an old lady in her 80s, and this dear old lady uh, had, went shopping at the mall, and she had bags full of groceries, and she comes to a car, and when she gets to her vehicle, there are four guys sitting in her vehicle. It's in the state, so she drops her bags, grabs out of her big purse, pulls out a Colt 45. <laughs> she holds it like this. You know what gun control is in the United States? You hold the gun with two hands. <laughs> yeah. He says to the lady, to, he says to the guy, guys, you get out of that car now or I'll shoot and I know how to use this. 
the four guys jump out of the car and run as fast as they can. Then the shook-up lady gets her bags and gets a key to open the trunk. And it doesn't work. Her car is too over. Wrong car. She puts a gun away, drives to the police station, and gives herself up. The policeman laughs and laughs and laughs and laughs and points at the other end of the counter of four guys shaking like this. <laughs> They've just been car carjacked by an 80-year-old lady with a 45. <laughs> what, was, what was that lady's mistake? Her mistake is she thought it was her car, but it wasn't. Our mistake is we think it's our life, but it's not. When we give our lives to Christ, we, he calls us to surrender. To say, God, I make myself available to you. You have a plan for my life. You have things for me to do and difference to make in my world. God, I give myself over to you. I surrender. And that is what Jonah has to do here. God, I surrender my life to you. I surrender. When I came to Christ at 23, I was going to commit suicide. I was at university. I had a very good job with American Express. I was living in Buenos Aires, Argentina, but my life was a mess. Alcoholism and abuse and stuff in, in our background, unfortunately, and, and all of that. And so when I gave my life to Christ, which, by the way, if you're here this morning, uh, somebody prayed a prayer with me in a church like this, and my life changed from that moment on. So I don't know where you're at, but I want to tell you there's hope for you. I didn't think there was hope, but when I committed my life to Christ, I found that God is hope, and you won't know it till you experience it for yourself. So I hope if you're here this morning, you won't leave before praying and say, God, I want to begin that relationship with you. So, so that's it. So I, I prayed, had a dramatic change, and immediately I said to God, God, whatever you want, I will do. And immediately God got me to do a whole bunch of things that took me out of my comfort zone. God specializes in taking me out of my comfort zone. It's called growing. Okay, growing. Called growing, spiritual growth. Might have heard of it somewhere. Okay, okay, okay. And they asked me, they phoned me one day and said, you speak fluent Spanish, which of course I do. And they said, we started a little mission and we'd like to, we tried to get all the good speakers and they couldn't go. <laughs> so would you do it? So I, I, I told God I would do it. I'd never done that before in my life. I'd never preached. I, I now put people to sleep for a living, but then I didn't. And so I said, yes, because I'd surrendered. I said to God, whatever you call me to do, I will do. And so I said, I'll go. I'd never done it before. I got the Bible out and started studying stuff, uh, preached from Acts 17, uh, Paul talking about the unknown God. And there were 19 people that showed up at the church that day, this little mission that we were doing, 19. So, okay, 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 19. And I had never seen evangelistic meetings before in South America at the time. There was no Christian radio or Christian television available and so on and so forth. So I got to the end. I wanted people to respond to Christ. I didn't know how to do it. I had no idea how to do it. I no, no idea whatsoever, which, by the way, is prerequisite for ministry. <laughs> Gives you a prayer life. So I got to the end, and I didn't know you had to tell people to bow their eyes and close their heads. I didn't know. I didn't know you had to have the choir singing just as I am without one flea. I didn't know. So they're looking at me 
like you are, and I say, if you want to repent, that's how to make friends and win, win friends, if you want to repent, get up and come forward. Well, they all look at me like you are, like a, gate, you know, a cow looking at a new gate. Okay? And this guy at the back that I used to play rugby with happened to be there. Leslie's his name. And he stood up in the middle of the 19 all uncomfortable looking people and he yelled, I need God! And he ran down the aisle, ran. And he literally tackled me. And he was sobbing at my feet. All the other people looking at me. And I didn't know what to do. So I did, Mary had a little lamb, I don't know. <laughs> Today, Leslie is a missionary in Spain telling people about the hope in Jesus Christ. The point is simply this, unless you surrender, nothing's going to happen in your life. So here, Jonah, who a moment before didn't want to do it, running away, suddenly has a God change of heart, and he surrenders. It starts with surrender. The next one is P is for perspective. In the whale, God changes his point of view, and he does it in an incredible way. Look what he says in verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. He said, all these people in Nineveh, like people in Red Deer, by the way, who are into all these other gods, you know, money and power and, and fame and prestige and Rolex or whatever it is that they're into, you know, all these gods, they, they could find this grace, this forgiveness, this hope. And I'm depriving them of it by keeping it to myself is basically what he's saying verse 9 but I with a song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to God uh, what I have found I will make good salvation comes from the Lord there's no other solution salvation only comes from God wow that's right that's right wow so we see how God changes his perspective that, that God can use him and that lost people matter to God. God wants us to reach the Ninevites and the Red, red Deerites and all the other ites. Okay? Except termites. <laughs> Sorry about that. That was really sad. That was really, really sad. <laughs> Can't believe I said things like that. This is, it's a crowd that gets the worst out of me, I guess. <laughs> wow. So we see that the, these issues are something else. Let's go to the next point. And the next point is then, then, God says, okay, Jonah, now you're ready. I wonder, you know, I would rather surrender now and have God change my perspective without a fish experience. I'd rather, because otherwise God might do it to you. Some experience you'll never forget for the rest of your life. I bet you he didn't. And when he repented and when he said, God, you know, I... I, I surrender, I change my perspective, this matters to you, I, I, I'm scared stiff, but I'm going to do it anyway. Things happened. The little boy who'd gone in and saved his brother from a fire, it happened during the night, the parents were away, and the little boy got out and heard his brother screaming in the fire. He ran in, the little kid, and pulled the little baby out of the crib and brought him out, and the papers asked him, why would you do that? They asked the little kid, you know, why would you do it? And the little kid with tears in his eyes said, I didn't want to lose my brother just because I was scared. Hmm? And that's my attitude too. I don't want the people around me to lose them to the hope of Christ just because I'm scared. I have a friend in Edmonton who says, do it afraid. 
do it afraid, do it anyway. So then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's how you begin a ministry. How did you get here? I was brought up in the ministry. Okay, okay. Fish Express. Okay, okay. Only the whale was sicker than Jonah. Okay, okay. okay. And so on the, on the shore is a changed Jonah, just as through these doors needs to leave a changed David McFarland this morning. And I believe needs to change uh, changed you. I don't want to leave the way I came, and neither do you if you love God. Then we have engage. Number five is E in gospel, is for engage. So Jonah then vomited up, and out he goes, and he engages. He engages. You see, hope is only transferred through contact, through contact. So we've got to engage people. And so then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, a second time. God is so good. When we blow it, God still doesn't quit on us. Gives us another chance, gives us another chance, gives us another chance, gives us another chance. I'm so glad he does. So I don't know what your background is, but God gives us another chance. And in verse 2, go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim, so it's the same message, proclaim the message I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh, went to Nineveh. Wow. I remember living in a street called Tricia Downs and I realized that I haven't led someone to Christ for a while, and I don't know how long it is since you've led someone to Christ, but, but I hadn't done it for a while, and I was a businessman back then, and uh, so, so I had, we had neighbors, you do too probably, and I, I thought, I don't know my neighbors, I just say hi and disappear, so I thought I'm going to intentionally start praying for them, and I'm going to start to get to know them, and Actually, I've done that to this day. I shovel the driveways of my house and of the neighbors' houses, and I always do that. Uh, we're trying to, to connect with neighbors and get to have reason to talk to them. And so they were mowing the lawn. I'd, instead of just saying hi, I'd stop and say, how are you doing? Got to know their name. He's fixing the car. I would say, I'll come over and try to help you. Not that I'm any help. Okay. Uh, I'm very impractical. I staple up wallpaper. And uh, so, <laughs> so I... Uh, so I get to know them, found out that the lady had been married to the guy's brother and had children by the brother and by the other brother. And uh, so the kids were brothers and sisters and cousins at the same time. Welcome to the 21st century. And uh, talked about spiritual things. They had some spirituality in the background, blah, blah, blah. Then, then I, we were doing an evangelistic thing at the church, and I said, would you, would you come? I invited them to come. And uh, Dad talked to them a few times about Christ, and, and so I asked him, I, I didn't think they would come. There's a lot of Jonah in me. Hmm. I didn't think they would come, but, but to my shock, that morning, a big bouquet of flowers came through the doors. Big bouquet of flowers with two legs underneath. And when they came down, they came down the aisle, and when the, we were singing in the middle of something, uh, and, you know, and it came right down to the front, and when the flowers flipped away, it was my neighbor, the lady. She was in a miniskirt. There was more like a belt. <laughs> you could nearly see next week's washing. And the, she had a plunging neckline that was so plunging, I wasn't sure she was in the dress trying to get out of it or out of the dress trying to get into it. And then she did something at the front in the middle of it, like if it happened right here now. And she, she knelt, at the, she never should have done that in the dress. Don't want to even tell you what happened. It's called a wardrobe malfunction. 
And she knelt at the front of the sign of the cross. And that morning, she gave her life to Christ. What did I do? Well, not much. <laughs> but I did enough simple things that any one of us could do. So I'd like to share with you an illustration I developed and I've used for a long time. And it's basically, it's a, it's a ladder, a ladder. And I want to see how every one of us, every one of us, doesn't have to be a Jonah. Every one of us can be involved in somehow spreading the love. And it's not the love and the hope of Christ. It's not as difficult as you think. It Honestly, every one of us can do it. Every, not one of us here can't. So there are six helpful activities that we could do. The bottom rung of the ladder, which pretty much is accessible to everybody, even somebody in their 80s could probably get on the first rung, you know, is prayer. I don't think there's any one of us who couldn't pray. So if we started praying, imagine if we started praying by name for five, six, seven, eight, ten people, and I do this, by the way, daily myself, pray for them that they will come to know Christ. The worst that could happen, they could get saved. Okay. I'll do this side. The worst that could happen, they could get saved. <laughs> see, 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 okay. <laughs> okay. So prayer. We could start praying. Imagine what would happen. Not only does it change people, but it changes us as we relate to them because we're praying for them. Ha! Huh? Prayer works. Okay, well, it does. Number two is serve. Now, this is a little further up. Not everybody can make that, but serve. You could shovel the driveway. You could help somebody out with groceries. You could, if they're having a birthday party, take a cake over. I don't know. You think of things that you could do to help someone, serve them in some way. Then you could invite them. This church has little cards at the back in the information center where people can invite them to a service. Isn't that right, Pastor Paul? So, you could invite them. Say, you know, you've talked about the Christian faith. This is a church I go to. It's a great place. Come on, Pastor Paul's a pretty good speaker. You know, they have some crazy people in South America. I'll tell you when not to come. But, but, you know, invite them. And then you could share. You could share at some point. And by the way, I have a video. Oh, I was using the pulpit, wasn't I? I have a video at the back from Billy Graham, which is free. Did I say free? Free. My name is McFarlane. McFarlane's a Scottish name. Scottish people like things that are free. Man. You know why, why Scottish people have big noses? Because air is free. Okay. <laughs> this video is available at the back, but only on the condition that you show it to an unsafe friend or relative or somebody uh, that, that hasn't heard the gospel. Inside there's free material, there's a vid DVD which costs millions of dollars to produce actually. It's an exceptionally good DVD with Billy Graham and testimonies. There are some booklets in here and, and resources for you. Uh, very, very good. Now the only thing we ask is that you fill in a card to register so that you don't get this unless you register because we, the donors want to know that it's going to someone who's actually going to use it. So they're at the back, they're free, they're at the information center. Do pick one up please. I think it's a great tool and they there you go. So back to this. So many of us can share. Others can explain the gospel. You call apologetics. And then there are some that, that are able to lead the person to Christ. Now, the truth is that we can all do those things. We can all do them. But whenever I've led someone to Christ, I find out it wasn't about me. It probably had a mother that had been praying for 20 years, that they, somebody in, the, in their business had actually was not a hypocritical Christian. They were the real thing. And they served and they helped and they were nice. Christian nice. Whoa, what a concept. 
And then they were invited to, to maybe a church and they heard the gospel before and somebody shared how the life was changing. Then I come along and lead them to Christ and it wasn't me. It was all of us working together that changes the world. Ha! Okay, that ha is from a Hebrew word for ha. Okay. <laughs> okay, all right. There you go. Okay. I can't believe this congregation. This is very dysfunctional. <laughs> so what were we talking about? Oh yeah, we were talking about this. I remember a guy. We we did a Bible clubs, Bible neighborhood Bible clubs for kids. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay. Anybody vertical and ventilating? Yes. Okay. 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 Well, we did backyard Bible clubs. I love child evangelism. I absolutely love it. It's one of the first ministries I ever did as a new believer. And I love seeing kids come to Christ. And better than that, growing to become godly adults is the key. Okay, back to this. So, so we did this backyard club. And one little girl from the neighborhood, never been to a church, went and gave her life to Christ at one of the backyard Bible clubs. The mother then started attending church with the little girl because we followed up on the little girl and the mother was not a church girl, but she started attending. Found out they came from a rough background. The mother gave her life to Christ. And then I asked about the dad. The dad never showed up. And he said, oh, my dad, uh, husband is in federal penitentiary. He's a tough man. He's coming out in a week. I said, why don't you invite him to church? And he said, you have no idea. That guy is a tough guy. He does not believe in God won't come to a church. He never, never, I mean, don't, he, he's beyond reach. Well, months later, many months later, the little girl wanted to get water baptized. So we had a water baptism service and a lot of people getting baptized, including the little girl. To, to my shock, a guy shows up who's the dad, who's out of prison, big man, tough, really tough, like really tough. He had muscles in places. I don't even have places. Okay, okay. He had tattoos, like everywhere, tattoos, you know, prison tats. And have you ever wondered about people with tattoos? Don't they realize one day they're going to get old and that ego will be flapping in the wind? I just, <laughs> I have a warped sense of humor. Okay. That, that, the man came because of the daughter which shocked the wife. I gave the simple gospel message, which simply is, you can know Christ for yourself. Or Christ loves you, died on the cross for you. It was buried, rose again through that faith in him, not through our own works, not through ourselves, but through surrendering to him. He, he gives us eternal life and forgiveness as a gift. We cannot earn it. There's nothing we can do to, to make it ours. We have to simply say, God, I need you in my life. I am willing to repent of my past. I want to know you. Clean my life up, O oh God, and give me the power to live a successful life from now on. And that guy, this big, tough guy that nobody would reach, was one of the first people to run down to the front with tears down his eyes, sobbing like a baby. The wife, you could have picked her off the floor. His life was changed. He ended up becoming an elder in the church. God takes broken, hurting people like me and turns us around. But you'll never know it until you commit your life to Christ and begin the relationship, which you could do this morning by a simple prayer, which pastor will lead you in just a few moments' time. So we need to then look forward. So the story of Jonah is a bit depressing. He goes half-heartedly. He doesn't expect the Ninevites to... to uh, to repent, but he 
doesn't want to wait on an experience again. So he goes and he doesn't want to disobey God. So he tells everybody about this hope in Jesus, this hope in God, this hope in God everywhere, hope in God. But he doesn't expect them to repent. He was cynical. He could have been a Canadian. <laughs> it can happen over there, but not over here. So there we go. Look what it says. The Ninevites believed God. When God saw what they, they saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. There was a revival here brought about by a snivelly, little self-centered failure of a prophet that simply surrendered and said, okay, God, I'm going to do it. And to his shock, God uses him and does a mighty revival. Does a mighty revival. Wow. What do we learn from the story? We learn a lot of things from the story. Number one, that God doesn't give up on us. That when we fail as prophets, as leaders, as people like you and me, he doesn't give up on us just because you've never led anyone to Christ or it's been a while. Don't worry, God has not forgotten you. And God is willing to say, no problem, I will give you the courage this next time round. Second, God doesn't give up on cities either. Evil Ninevites. God doesn't give up on prostitutes. God doesn't give up on drug addicts. God doesn't give up on homosexuals. God doesn't give up on people that rob banks. That was said with feeling. (laughs) But you know, God doesn't. God doesn't give up on us. When people turn to God, God is there to forgive and to restore and to change. There's always hope with God. Always hope with God. Not only do we learn that from the story, but we learn that the city, it was more prepared than Jonah thought. I believe Red Deer is ready for a revival. But many of us don't see it because we've got a Jonah problem. But God is at work in Red Deer in a mighty way. And all God is waiting for is a trigger point, which is people like you and me that say, you know what? I'm not going to be ashamed of the gospel anymore. I'm going to, give, I'm going to let it spill out. Now, not being offensive and stupid about it, but doing it well. The world is looking for that. And then the fact that God can revive a whole city. Wow. Wow. I was in Guatemala speaking and I speak Spanish, so I did teaching for pastor in Guatemala. Guatemala, the country of Guatemala, 100 years ago, there were no believers there. No believers at all. Very dark country. Today, when I spoke there, they said 50 to 60% of the people that live in the city of Guatemala are born-again believers. From none to 50 to 60%. Whoa! I looked at the, the pastors and I said to them, how did that happen? Was there a special visitation of God? In Spanish, an avivamiento. Was there a revival? And they looked at me like I was a weird gringo. And they said, they said one looked at the other and said, they told us about Jesus. And we told others. And then he said, isn't that what we want to do? And I started to cry. I thought, my goodness, it's that easy. Why am I not doing it? God, change my heart. Change my heart. Don't let me become a Jonah, God. This morning, I believe this morning God wants to change every one of us. I believe that none of us come here. Yes, some of you come to be entertained. And by the way, I'm here tonight at 6 o'clock. Breaking a guitar. (laughs) 
But if you've got people that aren't here this morning that you know in the area, the community, and you say you've got this crazy guy from South America, from Billy Graham, invite them to come. Okay? Make sure you don't come in case I'm mad at you. Okay. Six o'clock tonight, isn't it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Maybe people you want to get back at. Okay. Let me close with this. Let me close with this. There was a, it's an African story of a little mouse that got friendly with an elephant. Now, they normally don't get friendly with each other. Elephants are scared of mice, which is actually true. But this elephant made a friend of the mouse. And the mouse would climb up the elephant and sit on his ear, just by his ear, and they'd talk as they walked through the jungle. Thump, 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 big elephant. They got to a bridge. And it was a suspension bridge made of ropes, as you've seen in Tarzan movies. And the elephant crosses. Bloom, 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 bloom. And when they get to the other side, of course, the little mouse looks back and the bridge is shaking. And the little mouse said, boy, didn't we shake that bridge up? Well, that's the way it is with God. God wants to shake the city up. I'm the mouse. He's the elephant. When we cooperate with God, we partner with God, and then God shakes up our world. Ah!